Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Off the Post. Ting. We need a we need a soundbite, Tom. I'll make a note of that. Yeah, get on that shit. Um, so you know we have a light mail bag today. Not too much. A couple questions. Um, but you know we have Thanksgiving. There's of course. The Thanksgiving special. Uh, what what the hell is Friday's game called, Tom? The what the Friday game? It's what is it? It's like uh, the oh, what do they exactly call it? It's the it's some the, marketing gimmick. It's the gobble turkey hockey jamboree. The 2019 NHL Thanksgiving showdown. That's it. Even though it's on uh, it's on Black Friday. Yeah. So yeah, there's that whole that whole thing, but yeah, there's that to look forward to, and uh, you know, you you folks have some questions, and we have maybe answers. So let's just start right with Kevin Power, Blue Shirt Banner Zone. His question: What the hell is this team, Tom? What is what the hell is this team? Um. What the this, hell is this team? This what the hell team. Well, this team is an interesting one where they may win and we might die. Um, Yeah, um, the answer to the question is they're a really true case of Jekyll and Hyde. Um, They play good against good teams and then sometimes they don't have the effort against not-so-great teams. See the Ottawa Senators outside of, um, you know, the beginning of the season. Uh, yeah. This team is, is like Jekyll and Hyde, but Dr. Jekyll still has like an anger management problem. Because right? <laughs> like, even when things are like, oh, he's a brilliant doctor, it's still there's like, an underlying problem. That's what this team is. It's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but Dr. Jekyll has a, a dramatic personality flaw. Uh, from Phil, not our Phil. Hi, Mike and Tom. Which player has exceeded your expectations most so far this season? And on the other side of the coin, which player, in your opinion, is underachieving the most? In terms of exceeding expectations, I think Adam Fox. Ah, you son of a bitch. Yeah, I know I probably stole that from you, but... um, I I just had that lined up. Before... But but before I go into detail about that, or actually, I won't go into detail on Anna Fox, because I'll talk about Filipino. Seven goals uh, in 13 games, nine points overall. He embraced being sent down to Hartford, and he has come back, and he has played uh, very, very well. And um, shot 23.3%. No Ryan Strom, but, you know, we all... Strom is back down to a, a crispy eighteen seven five. Still a point per game player, though. I yeah. guess you can't put that on a chart. <laughs> Find room for that on your chart. I think that that should end up on one of our shirts. Um, all right, so so your your answer is, I guess I'll go with my exceeding, and then we'll both go to our most disappointing. Does that sound good? Yeah, works for me. Uh, 
I mean, I don't want to say Fox because you just said Fox. And that just feels wrong and dirty. But it's tough after him because, like, Panera being this good hasn't... It's just been a relief, I guess. <laughs> I'll say Booch. Like, my real answer is Fox, that. but Booch will be my, my runner-up. Um, and you know what? Strom, obviously. Like, Strom... Like, if you told me Strom would have 22 points in the first 22 games of the season, I'd... You know, they'd say that you you, you fell Turn on your head. Turn off the damn Xbox. Yeah, it just it's super unlikely. So I'll say Stroman, Booch, and Fox are all the guys that fit into that, you know, into that box of guys who it's like, well, this has gone very well, and all for different reasons. Like the underlying numbers on both Booch and especially Fox are, are fantastic, and it's great to see Fox continue to pick up some points here and there. And you know, Ryan Strom is, you know, he has. What else can you say other than he had an opportunity and he seized it and he, you know, did everything he can do. And uh, frankly, it's, you know, even if you're someone who might be a little ho-hum about Strom and you don't know, you know, if you are someone who's very cautious or I should say, you know, maybe skeptical about his underlying numbers and what he did in his career and all that, like, there are still very good end game scenarios here wherein he has a very high trade value um, and the Rangers move on from him. Of course, the alternative is the Rangers say, this is the second line center um, that we want for the next three or four years or something to that nature. But yeah, I'll, I'll go with those guys. So those are my guys in Fox. I think that's a good trio. How about your most disappointing, Tom? So I kind of have one but I want to know if I can sort of cheat in answering this question uh, in the sense of can we also include coaches? Ooh. Uh, I'll, you'll do a player and a coach. That's what we'll do. Yeah, so, and it's tough because they're sort of... Oh, like, you know what, son of a bitch? Tony D'Angelo. That's oh, the guy who may have exceeded my expectations the most. Yeah, I mean, I agree, I agree with that as well. Um but in terms of players um, who have underperformed, it, it's hard to say he's underperformed because I really haven't expected a whole lot. Um, but, like, you look at this roster and, like, Lieber Hayek, someone who um, he's just struggled, and I think he struggled more than we thought. But then again, is that really his fault? Um I mean, I guess you could also look at... You just hate you know, the kids, Tom. You hate you hate the rebuild process. I mean, you could look at Howden, too. But I, I'm not, like, trying to be mean here. It's just from what was um, expected. And this is not even, like, just a, a points standpoint, but just from, you know, decision-making at times and, you know, just blowing assignments... Um, and then obviously, you know, if I were to name a coach, like, you know, slightly disappointed in Quinn, just sort of tinkering things about it seems like he went from saying like, oh, I didn't want to, you know, overreact and tweak things, um, you know, following the Montreal game. And then it just seemed like he went back on that. But yeah, who has been disappointing for you, Mike? Hmm. Well, see, I and it, only part of the blame goes to the player here, 
I'll just say the most disappointing outcome has been Leah Sanderson to me. That's uh, fair. You like I think that's been a disappointing outcome. Um, and you know, uh, especially you know, which players in your opinion is underachieved the most? Like, you know, it's hard to say what was Leah Sanderson supposed to achieve on the fourth line, right? But uh, goals if you're David Quinn. Yeah. Um, you know, he said you know there's certain things we look for and all that. Uh, after. You know, to just have, like, just to throw another name up there, like, you know, uh, after Vlad Nemesikov was traded, Tom, I, he's just been terrible in this lineup, you know. <laughs> like, uh, it's it's tough because there are a lot of, you know, there's, I don't really necessarily want to find a scapegoat um, because I think a lot of the issues stem from, frankly, uh, decisions made with the lineup that are, you know, that go above players. Like, am I surprised that, you know, Michael Haley has been really, really bad. Or you know, you know, before the team did what they did with him. No, like, am I surprised by Brett Howden's play? Not at all. Like, I, I didn't expect him to be, you know, all of a sudden figure out the two hundred foot game. You know, after this coming into the season, am I surprised that with Brendan Smith playing wing that he sometimes looks, you know, lost out there? Of course not. Um, you know, someone who I think. You know, it's, it's tough because with Anderson, and then, you know, I look at the, you know, the other names to choose from, definitely neither of the goalies, I'd say, and, you know, if anything, I guess the counting stats for specifically, you know, the assists, uh, you know, for Truba, if anything, I'd say I've been underwhelmed with Truba, but again, I don't, I don't necessarily put that all on him either. That's uh, fair. But, you know, for a guy who has his price tag, uh, you know, for a guy who's undoubtedly in his prime, for a guy who's came into this organization to be that guy, you know, that top pair, play 24 mm-hmm. minutes a night guy, and, you know, obviously playing with Lieber Hayek has done him zero favors, but it's, if, if we're asking the question who has underachieved the most, I think, you know, I would expected I would have expected maybe better underlying numbers from, from Truba, but then again... He's in the scenario he's in, and the team around him is not great, and all that. So, it's a tough question, actually. Even though you know we're now at the quarter point of the season, right? So, it's not like we're dealing with a small sample size anymore. We have 20 games to look at. But I just hesitate really to to put the spotlight on one player because you know it's and it's not just because Mark Stahl's out of lineup. <laughs> it's just the this is just where things stand right now. There are a lot of guys who look bad out there and have bad underlying numbers, and there are a couple of guys who have really managed to succeed in spite of the overall team's lack of, you know, strength, and you know, some guys who are exceeding, maybe punching well above their weight, you know, like the Ryan Stroms of the world, and definitely Heedle in terms of his production since his call-up, but, you know, that's where we are. I, uh, I think I'll stick with those two, though. I'll say Leah Sanderson and Jacob Truba, because to me they've been... And they both underachieved in their own, in for different reasons and in their own way. Fair enough. It's tough though. It makes me sad. It's a sad question, uh, Phil, not our Phil. And he says, "P.S. Joe is a whale." Just thought we should add that in. Uh, Adam Furlong. This was a question I think we could do an entire podcast about, even though I know it's a topic we've touched on before, or at least I know Joe and I have sunk our teeth into it. What is the highest dollar amount and longest term 
You would be comfortable giving Chris Kreider as an extension, Tom. I realize Mika's... Oh, so he, he wrote this in, before we learned that Miko's going to come back. Um, but he also attests that Kreider has been the team's captain the past few weeks. You know, according to uh, Adam Furlong, who wrote in with this one. Tom, here's the thing about Chris Kreider. Everyone loves Chris Kreider. And that includes people who are not Ranger fans that are general managers in this league. There are a lot of teams that covet this guy. And for good reason. With that being said, he's 28 and the Rangers are going to have $6 million in dead cap space because of the Shattenkirk buyout. Uh, I think it's $7.5 million total in dead cap space. Um, next season, looking at cap-friendly right now, Tom. Uh, and, of course, it's, you know, there could be some more relief uh, in terms of, like, oh, you know, maybe they move Ryan Strom. And that's, you know, $3.1 million off the books. He's a, he's a pending RFA. Um, but then, of course, you have Tony D'Angelo uh, that's going to be an RFA. So, I don't, Tom, this might even be, can the Rangers even do it, right? Well, it's more of a function of how much are you willing to pay a premium on for someone who's going to be on your second line. Furthermore, but like even like, let's say in a world where you can have Chris Kreider, like, for six, like let's say it's like six, $6 million a year at four years, like something that is very palatable to the Rangers, in my opinion, like a deal like that, which I just don't think will happen. Nope, uh, he won't sign that. Of course he wouldn't. But like, even in that scenario, can the Rangers even fit that in? Uh, I mean, I'd have I to look at the numbers closer. But I, like, if you have, to, uh, if the Rangers move on from D'Angelo, um. You know, I, I think the last time we talked about this, you just joked and said, well, you just buy up Brandon Smith. Um, <laughs> like, just every year, just buy someone out. Just, you know, keep up the tradition. But... So, ah. theoretically speaking... Theoretically. If you look at... if And if you assume that the cap is going to increase, um, obviously you have the dead space that will be around. But it would be a decision of like, okay... We're going to let Strom go, or we're going to trade him somehow. And then you're theoretically saying, okay, he's counting against the cap for theoretically $4 million because it's his 3.1 and the 900000 they retained uh, in the, in the um, Spooner trade. So that's $4 million. Kreider makes 4.625. So if you took some of that Strom money and you reallocated it, and then you figure, okay, we're going to have more rookies on the roster. Like, if you theoretically say, well, we'll have, like, a crafts off, you know, potentially, or someone else on low-end money, you could kind of make it fit, but it becomes a question of, is that the best allocation of your resources? Because if you look at it, um, obviously you have Panarin, then you have, you know, Buchnevich who will need a new deal after next year. Um, it's like, where do you draw the line? And is it a question of, it, can you get something of value for Kreider that makes the concept of re-signing him, you know, not worth it? 
Yeah, the reason I brought up the points I brought up is because, like, let's say we have a number and we think, all right, that's reasonable. It's it's finding that number and then also the other moves you might have to make to even make that number fit, right? Right. So there's there's the added cost is what I'm getting to. Um, I think, like, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the Anders Lee contract. Uh, you know, and he is, you know, the question raised here is Crowder has been kind of the team's de facto captain, obviously Anders Lee, captain of the New York Islanders, uh, a guy of s- same age as Crowder, I believe, and, you know, he signed seven years at $7 million, Tom. Um, and, you know, that is, you know, we all know that the Islanders are having a crazy good year, uh, but, you know, like... Uh, Chris Kreider, seven years, seven million. No, thank I, you. I love Chris Kreider. I don't love him that much. Um, so then the question becomes like, would you do seven years at like four million? But why would Chris Kreider want to do that? Um, four years is the absolute most I would um, go in any uh, dollar amount. That's um, the number I land on a lot. With I him. might. I might be even willing to do a little bit of a higher cap hit for three years. Because the thing is, and you said this before we went down this this foxhole, but it's this is a really important point. Because make no mistake, Chris Kreider is a great player. He he drive he can drive a line right. He is a winger that has that ability. The problem is the Rangers have a guy who does it better at the same position with Panarin now. And he makes that, nearly twelve million dollars to do so. Exactly. So, like in a in a perfect world, you'll have a guy, like a young guy on his ELC, you know, filling that spot in the near future that makes that top six on the wing look not so brutal. But the like, how much money can you tie up in the left wing and the top two lines? You really can't because like, you're do you also- want to pay? Do you want to pay Chris Kreider $7 million a year? Like, uh, I know he's not a center, but he is a guy who... I mean, he's just not... Like, the bottom line is he's not going to come cheap, right? Like, that just that's the understanding with Kreider is... He is a guy who will likely get moved at the deadline, and mm-hmm. then he'll likely get a, a contract with a competitive team that has, you know, an opening or a team that feels like it's on the rise and they're missing a piece, you know, like... You know, a team that, like, you know, the contract, I'm sure, you know, like the Zuccarello contract, but but more. Like, you know, you might have something that compares to Kevin Hayes. And, of course, you know, we, we have never really talked about this on the show, Tom, but Kevin Hayes in Philadelphia has not worked out too well for, uh, I mean, it's worked out great for Kevin Hayes and his bank account, but oh yeah, not great for, for the Philadelphia Flyers. And I think when you're a team like the Rangers, Tom, and you... You know, we're talking about fitting fitting in Crowder had us talking about, you know, I didn't think we'd... First, I should say, we, we're already deep into this question, but I guess it was the one that piqued my interest the most. Like, the Rangers have three buyouts on the book right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've had... This is a team that has put itself in a bad position with contracts before. Several times over. You're doing this rebuild, or this build, whatever you want to call it, you have to be... You swung for the goddamn fences with Truba and with Panarin. This team has to be really, really careful with how it handles its next big contract extensions. 
Like, it is essential. Like, the Rangers did... Gorton did a tremendous job with Mika Zibanejad. He deserves tons of praise for it. He did what I think was a a stretch, but not hopefully not something that will, like, bring the house down in terms of the contract he gave to Brady Shea. Like, that deal might have been premature, um, and, and it, it still looks as such, even though Shea's starting to play better, which is great to see, by the way. And, you know, the Rangers had to... You know, had the decision with with Kevin Shattenkirk and you know w- buying his contract out, and we still see the impact of the Mark Stahl contract. It, they have to be very careful. I mean, he he stepped away from the Kevin Hayes deal, and that was encouraging. He, you know, the Rangers moved JT Miller. Uh, you know, even even before you know when when JT signed his big contract, of course, um, after being dealt, but. They've had they've haven't had to sign a lot of their own guys in terms of forwards in a while, right? So it's been it's been a lot. Who's I'm to say really that? Curious. Yeah, not to cut you off, but who's to no, say ahead. that on his, No, it's okay. You're beautiful. Um, but who, who's to say that his, Pavel Buchnevich's next contract could couldn't be in the neighborhood of five and a half million dollars? Especially if the cap goes up and. Uh, I mean, if Buchnevich finishes like finishes third or fourth on the team in scoring, he his next contract could start with a five. Like, uh, it's not that outland uh, not that outlandish for sure. Yeah, especially because when this contract expires, he will be which is next uh, after next season for those who don't know. Yeah, so he'll be twenty six years old. Um, so he has an April birthday. So the Rangers have some flexibility in terms of, you know, that next deal would would take him would cut into unrestricted free agency. Um, like I see this potentially being, you know, the the J T Miller situation where he was a good player. They, you know, was minimal raise and two year, you know, show me contract, and then. He's eventually traded and gets a new deal, but I think uh, in the Rangers' case, you know, they'd keep Buchnevich, Um But those—he's one of those players that you have to keep an eye on when considering a uh, Kreider extension. Yeah, that's—it's really tough for me because I—I I mean, I, I've already said it a bunch of times, but I really love Chris Kreider. Uh, the problem is. Like, I look around the league, like, you know, he's a different player at a different stage, stage of his career, but, like, one of the more recent contracts, a big contract to a winger, uh, you know, Kyle Connor, you know, you know, he's 22, so this is his first big deal, seven-year deal at seven point, uh, 7.142, the cap hit on his deal, and that was after a contract holdout, and then, like, you know, if the Rangers could have, oh, here you go, Tom, this is, again, a guy at a very different stage in his career. But, you know, just for the sake of argument, just for the sake of argument, Tom, only for argument's sake, Max Pacioretty was 29, I believe, when he signed He signed his a four-year deal worth $7 million a year mm-hmm. uh, with Vegas. You wouldn't go beyond four years, but when you go up to $7 million for Chris Kreider... I wouldn't because I've said it before. And I'm not, with you, and it not kills to be, me, but I wouldn't do it. Yeah, because like not to be a broken record, but um, if if you look at things in terms of the context of um, what the Rangers are paying Kreider now, 
and the level of production they're getting from him, it's pretty much any new contract he signs is going to be a terrible deal because they're going to be paying more money than he's making now and he's unlikely to let alone equal but surpass his current level of production so it like obviously you you can't look at things um in that light um but yeah he's also a guy where he's on such a sweetheart deal now that you can't afford to pay him for what he's done that's what makes it tough. Yeah, because he's been underpaid, frankly. His capita is like, what, 4.6? 4.625. Yeah, he's a guy who, you know, he should be making at least $6 million. You know, just And, you know, that's been the case for, I feel like, two or three years. But that is not where he came in. And that was a good contract he got from the Rangers. But now, you know, it, that contract was signed with the understanding that, you know, right in this age 28 like when guys are 28 or 27 and they hit free agency tom this is when guys get huge deals right because they're not in their 30s yet they're still considered to be in their prime or just entering like their prime and you know uh, you know the most recent uh you know analytics suggest that you know it's they're in maybe plateauing area not so much entering their prime by the way but Look at what Ryan McDonough got. I mean, yeah. he he's on a sweetheart deal with the Rangers, and then he signed, you know, a fat contract extension. Yeah, like, I don't know. I, I look at some of the, like, you know, it's... I'm very nervous because, like, a guy... It's just some of the more recent contracts, like the Jeff Skinner contract was crazy. Um, I don't think Kreider's going to be in that ballpark of $9 million a year. I think that goes without saying, but... Like Pacioretty is a good good number to look, excuse me a good number to look at. Um, had like a weird hiccup burp thing there. That was gross. Um, that's a good number to look at, and of course you can't help but look at the Anders Lee contract, right? And in both cases, I just ah oh boy, like Pacioretty, Anders Lee, and even to some extent, um, you know, if, was it? I think Gensel was twenty four, right? When he signed his deal, he's another another winger who signed a. You know, the deal he signed in Pittsburgh, I think, was for $6 million a year. But, of course, I don't know, buddy. I wouldn't go beyond four, I'll tell you that. And I think that really will... That's going to shape how the negotiation goes. Remember, Zuccarello was $6 million a year for five years as an age 31 free agent. Um, and that was... Everyone agreed. Like, unanimously, that was an overpay. Um, and especially because of the term, frankly, because he was going to an old team. And so, like, a 36-year-old Matt Zuccarello may be adorable, and I'll still love him, but I'm not sure I want him on my on my salary cap. Right. It feels dirty to say, though. Listen, folks, I want to keep all the boys, but we just can't. Um, let's move on to the next one, Tom. We spent a long time on this. Uh, and this one, I think, should be pretty easy from Joey D., which defensive prospect in the Rangers pipeline are you most excited for? Keandre Miller, I'm very excited about. Although you can of course, Keandre look Miller's at, my son. He's he's my sweet boy. Although Zach Jones has gotten off to a nice start to his season, he has yeah. right. Like, uh, and I I've become like the Joey Keane fanboy, but Joey Keane impressing in Hartford. Um, and like Nils Lundqvist doesn't get talked about enough. He might be my number two. I think that's the real question for me is who's number two because Keandre's one. Just because I feel like his ceiling is 
by far the highest. Um, he has a potential to be a first pair, like super stud, in my opinion. It's just a matter of whether or not it happens. And you know, his latest scoreline is 14 games, five goals, four assists. So he has matched his goal total from last season. Um, you know, he's starting to pick up more points in in recent games, and that's a good thing. But like, again, doesn't need to score points to be to be good. The kid's 19. Oh yeah. The potential he's shown is, you know, it's not like uh, just based on what he's done so far this year. It's very clear that last year wasn't a fluke, and that's really the only confirmation I needed is that he had, you know, kind of a, a strong, solid, steady play to start this season. That's exactly what he's done, and that makes me a happy boy. Yeah, it's it's good that you brought that up because I feel like we've gotten like a number of questions of that going back, like, hey, you know, Keandre's like scoring is down, but like I think like we said, you know, let let's play a little more game, have a uh, you know a few more games uh, mm-hmm. play out, and uh, lo and behold, uh, yeah, but Zach Jones, as Tom mentioned, uh, 68th overall in 2019, he's playing at UMass Amherst, he has 11 points in 12 games. I mean, it's pretty good. <laughs> He's second on his team in scoring. And, uh, you know, that's exactly the sort of, you know, guys you get in that, that third round, second round area are guys you hope have a big year, a big, you know, year after they're drafted. And you, you feel like, oh, maybe we got something special. And that's what I think Zach Jones is, you know, starting to, frankly, like that's what it feels like he could be is a guy the Rangers really – you know, kind of hit a bingo on. I mean, actually, I'm going to check right now where he stands among all D and scoring in the NCAA because I'm sure, you know, he's in good company. Yeah, he's he's up there. He's top 15. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys have played different amounts of games. Um, but you know, three goals, eight assists. Uh, can't complain, Tom. A lot of, lot of good things to um, be worried about at some point, like where all these guys are going to fit but um yeah it's a great problem to have for me it's like is is there room for all these young d i don't care i especially don't care right now i'll care in like 2023 you know <laughs> like that's when i'll care it's just let let it be survival of the fittest let the you know the cream rise to the top and give me as much cream as i can handle sweet sweet cream hey mike and tom with Mika's return imminent, what do we think the lines will look like Wednesday? We actually talked about this on the flagship, Tom. Um, and we already know what the lines will be, but uh, let's just do this. Who do you think is the other guy in that second line with Strom and Panarin? I think it'll be um, Kako to start. I think uh, he's the obvious choice to see if it works. Um, and then if not... Then, and then, so what's the third line? Is hopefully Heedle, God willing. Oh yeah, I would hope Heedle centering the third line. It would probably be with um, you know Lemieux and potentially Faust. Although, um, you know, we've seen stranger things happen. That we have, Brennan Smith. Let's, uh, we've yet to see Brennan Smith center a line, but you know what? There's still time left in the season, Tommy. Um, yeah, that's, I. We know that, you know, KZB's coming back, to answer your question, uh, Panarin, who's one of our patrons, who we always love getting questions from everybody, especially when we have some regulars who ask questions. I like that. Uh, I, 
I feel like that's the the real thing is like who's going to be that third line center, who's going to be the fourth line center, and I feel like it'll be Howden at fourth C because I I would hope that the quality of play from Filipito has makes him immovable into the fourth line. Like he just, you can't move him into the fourth line because if you put Filipito on the fourth line. I don't know. I don't know what David Quinn's doing at that point. Um, from Philip Christine, uh, oh, he said a nice thing. He said, "Just want to thank Mike for being open with anxiety and depression. As a man that suffers from that, I know how hard it can be. It's important to be open with that. The world needs more men like you, uh, Philippe. I can assure you, the world uh, needs definitely more people who are open about mental health, but maybe not people like me. I'm, I'm a disaster." Um, his quick Rangers question, Tommy: favorite Zuccarello moment. Um, that is tough. There's too many. In my head, my first reaction might be the the poetic one is his return um, from his injury. But of course, that had a that was bittersweet in a way because when he came back from the scary injury, and then there was the you know we were all so concerned, and then we heard like, oh, he's not the same Mats anymore. And that made it tough. So maybe the first Extra Effort Award where you really... That was like the culmination of the Garden falling in love with him. That was like the confirmation, the culmination, the evidence that he was the guy that we wanted him... Like, everyone recognized, this is our guy. That was very special. Uh, The countless celebrations jumping into Kreider's arms. I mean... That's not a singular moment, but it's hard to pick with Zuccarello. All the ridiculous, beautiful, sensational, brilliant passes. Like, he was one of those guys who you loved for his personality, and you, you might love him even more because he was he was so fun off the ice, such a fun personality, and then the way he played the game was fun, and he wasn't like a detriment in any way. He just, he didn't take shit from anybody. God, I love Zuccarello. Fucking his... love him. His... Behind the back, or rather, spinning pass. In yeah, blind ga- spinning pass. Game yeah. seven against the Flyers to uh, Daniel Carcillo. That's just like an all-time like, what the fuck just happened moment. Yeah, um, I want I want like that a, a gif of that tattooed onto my skin. Unbelievable, dude. Like I, I like to think about this stuff a lot. Like my favorite. Um, like, I like to do a lot of trivia things with my brothers. Like, I like to do, like, you know, how many Ukrainian Rangers can you name? Like, that's the sort of stuff I like to do. But I also like to think of, like, who's the best passer in Rangers history? And I'm sure most people just say, well, Gretzky, duh. But, like, in modern Rangers history, I take Zuccarello. Easy. Like, the some of the passes he made were just... He's a highlight reel passer, too. He's a guy who makes passes that absolutely boggle your mind. And Panarin, you know, might, you know, give him a run for his money, um, you know, after being here a couple of years. But Zuccarello, I will, I'll miss a lot of things about Zuccarello and the, the playmaking ability, the flair in his game, because he did have some flair to his game without ever being, I think, a guy who was, like, overly too much of a gambler. You know what I mean? Like, he made risky passes. I think he was just so goddamn good. <laughs> like, it didn't matter. But, wow. Gosh. 
I can't pick one. I know I'm sure you can't pick one either. But that one pass that I know that you're talking about is tough to beat. Yeah, it's let's, uh, let's just trade for Zook. Let's see, let's get him back. <laughs> Red Hound for Zook. Done. <laughs> I wouldn't disagree. Fuck the rebuild. Um, uh, and our last question, Tommy, uh, to wrap up Thanksgiving. From Jason Silverman, do you think the policy in the... This is a heavy one, by the way, so uh, buckle up. Do you think the policy in the NHL allowing teams to withhold specifics about a player injury, i.e. upper body, lower body, benefits players, the league, and hockey fans in light of studies on concussion, CTE, and other long-term brain injuries? Thanks, guys. I think there's a number of angles you can approach this with. Um, There's a lot. There's a ton of nuance and layers here. So, I think that whenever you're cagey with, oh, upper body injury, lower body injury, you know, generic, unnamed injury, there's kind of a sense of what someone's dealing with. And I think that eventually, once the league um, introduces, like, puck tracking and things of that nature, and they have some of their... Um, official, you know, gambling partnerships tied to that data. Um, I think you'll eventually see some more, um, you know, like forthright injury reports. Like you're not going to see, yeah, um, you know, this player has a fractured pelvis. This player has a, you know, um, you know, contusion on their pancreas. Um, you're you're gonna, you know, it's not going to be this, you know, upper body, you know, day to day bullshit. Um, like I understand the concept of well, you you don't want to tell someone that you know you're playing with like a bum ankle because you know they might try try and turn uh, turnstile you you know going down the boards. But like it would be pretty fucked up if you know the rest of the league knows you have a concussion and you know someone's just going to go out there and you know what all it's, all it'll take is you know one uh, innocuous bump in the corner to you know take this guy out of uh out of the game um i would like to believe that that doesn't happen but you know as we learn every day with yeah, this guys sport that, like like for example if your team goes into the game knowing, like, let's say it's Anzi Kopitar, and mm-hmm. he has a knee injury. I would like to think we live in a world, in a society, right? And the NHL is a league where the other team isn't thinking like, oh, yeah, I'm going to fucking I'm gonna hit him in the knee. <laughs> like, I don't... I would like to think that isn't the issue, right? I would like to think we don't need to have that level of... Like that level of uh, of skepticism and, and like cynicism and distrust in each other, but the thing, the other part of it is, it is a business, right? And specifically in the playoffs, because that's where really this starts. And like this idea of, oh yeah, you know, he has a he has an upper body injury, uh, you know, and like we just get this like, is it below the belly button, above the belly button, sort of a thing. I understand when it's a business and it's millions and millions of dollars on the line and, you know, chance for the cup. I, I get the cloak and dagger crap a little bit. I don't love it, but I get it. And uh, the angle that is most interesting to me is the question that Jason asks. Is like, 
Does it benefit players, the league, and hockey fans? I don't think it benefits hockey fans. I think information is good to have. I do think players should have a right to privacy, however. Um, and that is important. That a, Let's say a guy has a concussion. He doesn't, he doesn't want it out there for whatever reason. I think he, has, he should have the right to say, I'm, I have an injury, and that's that. Because um, hockey is, a t- is like professional sports are weird, right? Like, if you if you can't go into work for like, let's say you get in a car accident or something, and you can just say like, oh yeah, uh, I you know I'm in an accident. You don't have to get into the specifics of yeah, you know like like Kyle can't come into work because you know he ruptured one of his kidneys in a car accident. Like it doesn't get into the the minutia. Lower the body injury day to day. Yeah, Kyle's day to day. It just the like, who does it help? I think it helps the business side of hockey. I think, to some extent, it might help players. But again, I also worry that it hurts players. Because we're not talking in in an open way about things like concussions. Um, where they're encouraged to keep things, you know, under wraps. Where it's like, yeah, oh. Yeah, it's all, it's all mystery. It's all through fog. It's all through, like I said, cloak and dagger, to some extent. Like, it's, it's a purposeful... Uh, it's purposefully vague. Right to the point of it's, it's propaganda to some extent where it's it's the misinformation of they're like yeah you know it's somewhere between his shoulders and you know there's something we just won't go into specifics and like that's the like even Mika's response to Colin Stevenson was like you know I you know my history you know you know it's an upper body injury like put two and two, two together but he, yeah, exactly. he won't say concussion he won't say he won't say it's a neck strain he won't say it's whiplash you know it's it's using all of these, you know, this this language that circles around it instead of just talking openly about something like concussions. And that's, I think, that I think does a great deal of harm, uh, both to fans, frankly, uh, to the league itself and to players. And that, I think, might be the greatest evil in this. And the thing that carries the most weight and water to me is the fact that it does do harm. Uh, the misinformation and the the culture behind the not talking about why you're hurt, um, not, not, you know, coming to terms with like, yeah, I have a concussion. I need to step out of the lineup when hockey is a sport where he'll be fine. He's a hockey player, right? You take a stick in the mouth and the joke is always like, Oh yeah, he'll collect his teeth and he'll go play. He's a hockey player. And that's the culture we deal with. That's the, the culture of the sport. And so when we have guys who, have something like a concussion or, you know, heaven forbid, you know, this is not necessarily, you know, completely like related. It's tangential, but, you know, Bobby Ryan entered the, uh, the NHL and NHLPA's, uh, substance and behavioral, uh, support program, um, you know, for off the ice stuff. And obviously we wish nothing but the best of Bobby Ryan. And, you know, it's one of those things where in the past, you know, guys wouldn't go in because there's the stigma. And that's, I feel like that was a very common thing with concussions is, you know, we know from talking to Dan Carcillo and, you know, stuff like that. Like, you know, it used to be, yeah, I got my bell rung. And it's like, no, there's really no such thing as getting your bell rung. Like, you had a concussion. You, you know, you were knocked out or something. Like, the thing, the one that always stands with me, Tom, I don't know if you remember this, was uh, Paul Correa against the, the New Jersey Devils. Yeah, I've seen that highlight a bunch of times. Yeah, that is one where 
I remember as a young man watching that thinking, you know, like, boy, Paul Korea's tough. And when I watch that highlight now, it mortifies me. It mortifies me that he went back into that game. It's just this, I'm glad the game has changed from then, like from that point of where the culture was and like our acknowledgement of how serious concussions are. But I look back at a, a scenario like that and I'm just like, we're not doing, they weren't doing enough then. And looking at the present, I don't think we're doing enough today. I think we're getting, there's progress to be made. And we'll acknowledge that, like it's getting better. Concussion spotters are a step in the right direction, even though, you know, in many markets, I think they're found wanting. Uh, it seems largely, largely like it, there's human error involved, right? Just like calling penalties. Like, why isn't that guy pulled off for getting a high hit? You know, why is he getting pulled off for this hit and not that hit, right? It's all up to, you know, do you pull a guy off for every big hit? Like, what do you do? It's very tough. Very, very tough. But like, to get back to the question, I don't think at the end of the day, it benefits anyone. Um, no. I think the right thing to do is to talk openly about, um, especially in a sport like hockey, where we've seen far too many, especially the NHL, I should say, far too many young men die before their time uh, due to you know, you know, brain-related injuries, things like CTE, uh, mental health disorders, and addiction problems that are stemmed directly from con- post-concussion syndrome. We got to do better. That's my take. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, uh, you know, hopefully we we see that in, in the future. It's tough. Makes me sad, Tom. Makes me sad. But uh, you know what? There's a good podcast. There's a heavy topic. We probably should have opened with that and then talked about happier things. But you know what? We're, we're not the brightest bulbs, you and I. Um... Farther than Joe. Yeah. Who are you having Thanksgiving with, by the way? Uh, you know, I'm just at home with my uh, immediate family. That's good. Do you guys have a kid's table? No, it's just one table. Yeah. I was uh, still 30 years old the last time I sat at a kid's table, which honestly just doesn't feel right. That's the sort of world we live in, though. Um, you know, wherever you are, whoever you spend Thanksgiving with, I hope you have all the, the turkey or... Uh, or, you know, delicious vegan meal or whatever you might eat, whatever you might consume on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, get to spend it with family, people you love, and uh, be safe and have fun. Yeah, and if you're someone who partakes in Black Friday shopping, uh, please be careful. For um, the love of God, be safe. The Tickle Me Elmo is not that important. Although I'm, I am getting a Nintendo Switch finally on Black Friday. Look at you. Which is funny because I don't know when I'm going to have time to play it. <laughs> Yeah, I feel but like... I want to play with Pokemans, Tom. I, f- I feel like that could be a completely whole different podcast of things you want to do but don't have time for. What is that saying? It's uh, it's time to put childish things aside? Something? I forget what it is. I'd have to yeah, it. it's something to, to that like, effect. In my opinion, like, I, I don't want to put childish things aside. I want to put the adult things aside. Yeah, and like, frankly, if, like, our, if our grandparents had Pokemans... Would they have been, you know, as cantankerous as they are? 
I want our our generation is going to be the first generation of old people who are just like cool, bro, and they're playing Pokemans. That's what I think. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm after we finish recording this, uh, or rather, I save this. I'm going to send you a video, and I'll probably tweet it out. It's exactly what uh, you're you're exactly talking about. Just a generation of people that um, are just happy and want to do things with video games. I think video games are good, Tom. They're That's fun. my other big take for the day. Video games good, uh, concussion bad. Cranberry sauce, bad. Take, take it or leave it. I don't want. I don't. Here's the thing. I like seeing it because it's like, oh yeah, it's Thanksgiving. I don't want it in me. Like when I see like a like a turkey drumstick, I want that inside of me, deep, deep in my body, filling me up completely. And with that, we've reached the end. Every inch of it. Goodbye, everyone. Cream. <laughs>